If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is a serial entrepreneur and a five-time number one best-selling author. John North is a versatile and experienced entrepreneur. His passion is to help business owners become more strategic and smarter about their marketing efforts. With over 30 years of experience in finance, marketing, and software technology, he knows what entrepreneurs need to be massively successful in today's competitive marketplace and how to future-proof themselves. John is the CEO of Evolve Systems Group, and with his various companies, he constantly pushes the envelope of what's possible with his innovative and highly creative approaches to business. His personal mission is to create the platform of the future where entrepreneurs get full control over their online destiny all the way from Sydney, Australia. John, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Thanks, Susan. Really happy to be here. Well, John, I just purchased your book, Everything You Know About Marketing is Wrong. What a great title to start with. I mean, that's enough to spark so many people's interest. It's definitely intrigued me since I love marketing, and I want to know what you actually mean by that. And it was actually quite interesting because we actually used those titles in a podcast to see which ones would get downloaded the most, so we had different titles. And everything you know about marketing wrongs always work the best. So it obviously attracts people's attention. And I think the interesting thing with marketing is that you can say that to almost anybody and they'll agree with you. You know what I mean? Like marketing is such a mystery ultimately to everyone because I think it's not something you can just define easily. So it was quite interesting to be able to get away with it because I think if you said everything you know about whatever, it's something else. People would argue the point with you, right? It was kind of interesting that that worked really well. And also the fact that I think people are always on the lookout for something new and different. And I think that's the danger of an entrepreneurship is the pretty shiny objects, right? They're always looking for the next pretty shiny object to kind of chase down and think that's going to be the holy grail of marketing. Absolutely. And you know as well as I, because you spend a lot of time with authors, that they are looking for the shiny object. They're looking for the way that's going to get people to buy their book. So what are they doing incorrectly? I think it starts at the beginning, really, and usually what happens is it starts with strategy. I did a podcast interview just recently with someone, and I asked them some questions about who's their target market, and they couldn't answer the question. They couldn't say, well, who's my best buyer for my book? And I said, well, that's because you probably wrote the book for a generic audience. The downside is when you write a book for one, like a large group of people that's probably bigger than what you can understand, the reality is that you end up in a situation where you don't really understand your actual buyer. And in your marketing, if you don't understand who's buying whatever, then you've got no hope of being able to actually get their attention. And it's funny because that's the first question I always ask authors Mm. when they come to me is, who's your target market? 
And most people will just say, oh, males for females between, you know, 35 and 45 and whatever. And I said, well, it's not really nowadays. It's not so much their, their age or their, their sex. It's to do with why they think and I guess what they like, you know, what their sort of mindset's like. And I think that's the, the dangers people trying to put people in boxes and people aren't <laughs> the same in, in every country either. You know what I mean? Like it's very different in different countries. In your book, you talk about being able to dominate your industry. Talk to us more about that. I think the danger is that most people sort of say, oh, let's be everything to everyone, and then to me you're nothing to no one, right? Being very focused about who your target market is and who you can appeal to, and it doesn't mean like some people, it's almost like they think they're going to be like the movies, you know, when you become an actor and you become typecast and then you only get roles for that particular job anymore, you know, right? I think that authors think the same same thing. If they pick an audience and then they, after a while, they want to move on, that they can't, but they can. So the idea is pick an audience that's easy. I talk about a lot of people said, like, I've subscribed this concept of lazy marketing. I think because if you can do it and you can be lazy about it, then you can be serious about it. Figuring out who the best marketer for your book is, is figuring out who's an easy target for your book, not a hard target get the hard targets later. And then once you get that right, then you can go on to another level. I mean, we sold accounting software in a very competitive market in Australia. We came into this market and really we had big competitors against us. So the idea was to own little pieces of that market. So we'd go after a particular type of of user, which at that time was manufacturers and and exporters and wholesalers, because they weren't adequately serviced by the existing software. You really got to think about what's the problems you're solving? Where's the market that you could find where's your tribe if you like and that could be a series of people who have certain beliefs people like to clump together that's why facebook groups are so popular people like to clump together so if you can actually clump those people together in some sort of general thing that makes sense to you and makes sense to them then you've got a chance of actually getting sales and then they'll actually tell their friends and and expose from there but trying to go big and wide is what most authors try to do they try and say oh my book will appeal anybody so well that means that no one's going to really pay any attention to you Yeah, and that's so true because it's like, well, and you rightly said this earlier, is often the answer that I get is my book is for everyone and it's a universal message. And I'm like, yes, it may be, but I'm not sure that you're going to manage to market to everyone. (laughs) Well, if you said you cost you a dollar to market, let's say really conservatively, you know, say that it cost you one dollar to market everybody in the planet. Well, that's about seven billion dollars you're going to need to start with. It's going to cost you a lot more than that. The reality is, is that, and I think a lot of times I was reading a book, Confessions of a um, Marketing, I can't think the name of the book now, but it's actually talking about confessions and talks about the concept that most people with advertising, they'll stop their ads when they get sick of them, not when the audience gets sick of them. I think the problem is, is that most people will start a marketing campaign and then just stop it because they get sick of it. They stick looking at it every day. The reality is they haven't even started yet because if you're sick of looking at your own stuff. It's, it's not, it's, you haven't even started yet. As you know, I mean, marketing takes a while Mm. and one thing might work and one strategy might work one time and then the next time it doesn't work. But if you try it again, another day, another time, another season, maybe it'll work. That's about paying attention, I think, with marketing. I think at the end of the day, it's a case of going, well, you've got to sort of watch the metrics, figure out what's going on, you know, keep an eye on things. Nowadays, it's so much easier. I was reading this book talking about the concept that they only advertised in mail order. It's a fairly old book now. Most of the companies only do mail order because they can actually see the coupon being clipped and coming in so they know the ads work. 
And I think that's the danger is that most people spend marketing but they never actually track what's going on. And that's the danger because they then go, well, I don't know if it worked or not. But nowadays it's so much easier. I love that phrase, lazy marketing. Mm. Let's go into that in a little more detail. Is there a formula that you use to find this easy target so it will be a lazy trip? <laughs> this came out of the concept that I see a lot of clients. One particular client's a really good coachable client, right? So if you say to her, I want you to do this thing for a month, she will every day for a month. Unbelievable, right? She's got some unbelievable kind of work ethic, but I haven't. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Like I couldn't sit there and do the same thing for three hours every day for a month, right? That would drive me insane. And I think that's the problem is that most people can't do that. They don't have the discipline or the stamina to be able to keep that up. What you've got to kind of think about is what can I do that I, you know, and sometimes lazy marketing is what you enjoy doing, right? Then you find that most entrepreneurs will focus on what they like doing and all the stuff they're supposed to be doing they won't do. And I think that's the danger is you've got to kind of look at it and go, well, try something, try different ways of doing it. But if we're working out ways of trying to say, okay, if I can do that again, that will work. For me, for example, I looked at LinkedIn as being a very easy and lazy way to find people. Facebook to me is a hard way to get people because unless you really understand your audience well and you're willing to spend money, you will never get into that Facebook mold. It's a lot of work, a lot of money. Whereas LinkedIn, you'd actually know who they are. You can go and search them. You can find them by job title, whatever. You can narrow down the audience down to a certain area and you can actually target them. And so that means that you could actually go and look on Facebook and say, okay, what do these people look at? What groups are they in? All these different pieces of information you can find, right? And that means that you can actually target them easier. Then you can understand who they are. And then say, oh, I want people like that. But then thinking about who's your best customer, and it was interesting, I've done some a lot of work on this lately, where you think about right down to what they read, what they think, what their day looks like, thinking about all those things because you pick someone you know really well as a good customer, right? So I've always had the scenario that if you look at a, your best customer, it's probably the old 80-20 rule, right, where you look at 20% of your market, but drill in a bit deeper and you might find one or two people that you like doing business with out of like 300 that actually you could say, look, about 100 of them would be laughing, right? Look at those people and look at them intimately. Look at their LinkedIn profile, figure out who they might um, be connected to, what I guess philosophies and what they're reading and things like that to understand that you could actually appeal to that person. And that's lazy marketing really when you think about it because you just sit there and search a few things, right? That's a lot of research. It is, but it isn't. Interesting enough, when I was working through this methodology of actually looking deeply into this person, if you can't answer the questions, you don't know your market well enough. If you can't answer who your best buyer is and you know them intimately like a best friend or whatever, then in reality you don't know them well enough, so you need to work on that. And rather than try to figure out a 1,000 people, just figure out one person, right? Yeah, and at in, the end in, of the day, you're only talking to one person, and it's often people like yourself. Yes. Yeah, I mean, bad salespeople will attract people like themselves because it's easier for them, right, because they basically will, you know, essentially it, they'll like them, so they'll buy from them, right? So if you're a bad salesperson, and I'm not saying a bad, like, incompetent, but you're not, you're a lazy salesperson, right? You don't really follow the salespeople rules. People can make sales because people are like them. Trouble is sometimes it's not a good idea. Right? <laughs> sometimes attracting people like you are not a good idea because some people, it's like, well, that they may be distract easily, let's say, for example, right? So if you attract a lot of customers that are distracted easily and, and jump around in tangents, they're going to be very hard to control. But you don't want to end up with all these people like you that you actually can't control because you, you pick the wrong sort of people. I think that's the danger is if you don't 
understand who your best buyer is, then you're in trouble because you don't understand who they look like when they show up, all right? Yeah, very much so is understanding. And I think you said something earlier about looking at a marketplace and saying what part of that marketplace is underserved Mm. because that's where you can strike gold many times. It's interesting you talk about that because what I did is I use the same thought processes to, because we're building, um, as you mentioned before, we're building a platform. Been a couple of years now, we're sort of adding to it all the time, but we're building a platform to empower entrepreneurs, particularly authors and consultants, to be able to own their own destiny, if you like. Because the downside of all the social media stuff is you don't own it, you essentially outsource it to your customer. So you don't own that person's details unless they actually buy something from you or whatever. We thought about this and we thought, well, what's the best market for us to go and solve a problem? So we looked at all the markets and thinking, well, where's the market that's largely under service and also we could solve some problems for? And then we looked at the podcasting market. And the podcasting market is an interesting one because most people who listen to podcasts have got a reasonable level of income. And if they're an Apple user, which I think 80 to 90% of podcasts listen to on Apple, right? So everybody wants the Apple iPhone buyer, right? So you think about the best customer you want to buy anything, someone who buys an Apple iPhone or an Apple iPad, they're your best buyers because they've got money, right? Because Apple ain't cheap. If you look at that situation, then you've got a situation where you say, okay, great. What I can do now is say, well, can I solve the problems of this market better than someone else, but really niche into, say, authors and consultants rather than go too broad with podcasting, right? Because there's so many different podcasts. I think it's about 800 million podcasts or something. So at the end of the day is you've got to look at it and say, okay, well, I could service those people who've got those certain problems. And so we looked at kind of three different areas that, that we could solve problems in. After doing some research, I just spent a few days working through all these podcast websites to figure out what people were doing and what the big cost podcasters were doing and kind of identified, I think it was three different major things that people in podcasting need that don't do. Talk to us about those. I'm yeah. fascinated. Yeah. One of them was a podcast show page. So a page where you drive traffic to that you initially have that conversation. With marketing, it's about conversations, right? So if you can start a conversation with someone, you can get further with them. But if you don't start that conversation, then there's nothing happening. So there's no interchange. A show page where it actually shows what's going on with your podcast, what's the latest episodes, all those sorts of things wasn't something I saw a lot of. And what I saw was most WordPress people were creates like a WordPress blog site or something, and they try and make this thing work. And you can see that they're probably either pushing it manually or they're trying to engineer something. And it doesn't always work out. So most of the ones that I saw, so I went through all the podcast show pages. So what have people got on these pages that are doing really well? And it was almost like a jigsaw puzzle. We had to actually say, well, this person's got this, but doesn't have this. And and so in the end, we sort of come up with this checklist of things that we thought should be on a show page, for example. That was obviously some sort of really clear message to say who you are, what you are, and what you do in as many little words as possible, right? So the idea is if you can tell somebody what you do and what, how you are in as little words as possible, you're winning. Having show the latest feature episodes, the latest episodes, maybe feature your guests if you've got guests, and have some call to actions on the side so you can actually generate some traffic because – if someone clicks on, say, Apple and downloads that podcast, you don't know who they are. You have no clue. And some podcast statistical programs will give you some stats, which is good. Well, the reality is you don't really know who they are. And so by having that sort of intermediary conversation with them, as well as maybe get them to play on your own site, because 
Also, it's great to get podcast plays and downloads. If they stay in your site and they actually listen to what you're saying, they might actually then communicate with you. Then they might sign up for your free thing. Whereas once they're on the podcast, they're driving their car around or doing something, then they forget about you as soon as they get to the destination and turn off the podcast. That was kind of one thing. The next bit was subscriptions where people should be able to subscribe to your list, not, and a lot of these podcast platforms don't have the ability for you to do that. So you can't subscribe and keep the email addresses. They'll keep the email addresses and let them know about your latest podcast that's come out, right? That's not building a list. You don't own it again. So having to build your own list and then the system automatically tells them when the latest episodes come out. That's something that I've struggled with for years to try and do. It's typically, and I don't know what you do, but typically what happens is you have to write an email and you have to try and launch it every time. As soon as you turn that podcast on, our software is just going to send it straight out. And the last piece of the puzzle were two sort of areas. One was having some sort of call to action and be able to take them somewhere and, and do something like create a free club, like that's clumping them together then, right? So if they say, look, get this free check, you know, like podcast checklist or something, you're looking for people who are interested in doing podcasting, right? So you actually automatically sort of ask them and got them to say, pay attention to you. So basically what happens is you, you know your target market because you've already got them to identify themselves by having those call to actions and stuff like that. And the last little thing that we noticed was that most people don't own their feed. So you've got to think about rent versus buy. What they'll do is they'll go to a software, it's one of these podcast platforms, and the podcast platform will say, hey, no problem, you can use our feed, which means that feed comes out to everybody that you send out to your platform. So you can say to Apple, hey, I've got a new episode. It reads that feed and says, okay, great, I can upload that feed now. And so most people don't own their own feed. So what's happened is they've got some domain name like abc.com slash Susan as their feed address. If they move that podcast somewhere else, that feed doesn't necessarily go with them. So they lose their their connection to those platforms. And that's really dangerous. So again, not controlling their own destiny. Don't own that little bit. So you're basically renting it. So that's kind of the, I'll give you four things we found along the way. That's fascinating because... Going back to the Facebook, I tell my authors that they need to get anybody who, you know, all these hundreds and thousands of followers, they need to be directed over to their website to mm. get a, a lead magnet, some kind of free giveaway, and sign up on your site so that you can market to them. But right. I'd never thought of it in relation to podcasting. And so you and I need to talk further about this. And the other thing with podcasting is interesting, I mean, is that most marketing and, and some of it is some research on YouTube, for example, right? Because, like, you know, all these people making millions of dollars on YouTube. And turns out that the top performers in YouTube are very, um, well, the guy said in the, well, I was reading, reading the stuff, said they look tired. He said, oh, I interviewed some of them. He said, look, they're exhausted. Because what has to happen in YouTube is you have to create continuous content. Most of the people making millions of dollars on YouTube have a staff of 20 to 30 people. What they're doing is they're constantly creating stuff and they're on this constant journey of trying to keep people to stay. Because with YouTube, you, you lose them after two or three minutes. Facebook, you probably lose them even faster than that. There's attention deficit disorder going on there. The thing with podcasting is, though, you can have a, a one-on-one conversation with your listener for maybe an hour. You could get them to commit to an hour to listen to you half an hour, 30 minutes, whatever, something that's longer than a couple of minutes. So you can have a deeper, longer conversation that they've already signed up for. They didn't go in there going, I'm going to listen to this podcast for three minutes unless they're testing you out. The reality is they've committed that time. 
that's a long, intimate conversation with someone that I don't know of any other medium that does that because you have to own that customer by that point. You have to really have I've got to the point where they will listen to you because they know of you. But that with podcasting, you can build that sort of intimate relationship or that one-on-one conversation with someone and they're committing to it. They're not just going to leave on you really quickly. I've got listeners who write to me and say, I listen to every single episode. I'm like, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) And they may not necessarily buy from you, but they might recommend you to someone else. Like, I mean, that's how we met sort of thing. And so I think the end of the day is the recommendations that work so much better because once you're recommended by someone, then you've got a far nicer kind of pathway to talk to them. And so I think that conversation, if you focus on conversations, having conversations with your market, having conversations with your listeners, having conversations, even Microsoft refer to emails on their phones as conversations. I think that's the thing is people, and I saw a really funny picture, it's pretty can't do it on podcasting, but I had a funny picture when I was talking marketing where, and I say this to my clients all the time, right? Going on a date, first date, and this woman sends you a message that says, hey, I've got an th- idea of what we're going to talk about on our first date. And he goes, what's that? He says, children's names. Do you think you're going to show up to that <laughs> as a guy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what we do in marketing, right? We try to get them, try to marry them on the first date. We don't know anything about them and we want to marry them. And I think that's the danger of marketing is that that's what people try and do. They try and so I jump straight to the sale. And the reality is that people aren't ready necessarily for the sale from the get-go. They have to understand who they're talking to and get to know you. And podcasting, to me, is the best way to do it because they can get to know you probably on any other platform you can do that with unless you actually got them to subscribe to a YouTube channel and watch every episode. That's a very crowded market in comparison to podcasting, which in relative terms has got very little podcast when you compare to the amount of websites out there. I'm hearing that more and more, and I'm hearing how podcasting is really growing in terms of being one of the number one things to do in terms of marketing. And I love it as a way to connect with my audience and people I don't know who are listening, but I value them listening. But having listened to you, I know that I need to be making some adjustments here along the way. Let's talk about mistakes, John. Our listeners love learning about mistakes. And I know you've sort of implied some along the way without calling them mistakes, but what specifically do you see as some of the top mistakes? And I think you've got to mix mistakes into failure, right? People don't like to be seen to make mistakes. And I think that's part of, you know, like getting in the education system. But I think the part of the education system from when they take kids to school is they say, don't fail, don't fail this exam don't make these mistakes and all that sort of stuff. So you get very primed up in theory that you've got to be perfect all the time. And I think that's the danger of real life because real life doesn't work that way. Making mistakes and failures is a great learning curve. And I think one of the things that I found, particularly in the sort of the marketing area, is that coming back to kind of lazy marketing, the biggest mistake I've seen authors make is that they actually don't dig into their own content. What they'll do is they'll write a book And then essentially they'll keep on saying, buy my book, buy my book, but they don't really get deep into their book. They don't go, you know, narrow and deep, right? They just go wide. That's a big mistake, I think, because the reality is in podcasting, for example, speeding back to that, or any other marketing for that matter, your book, your book chapters in your book is your marketing plan for the next 12 months to five years. So what you basically need to do is just follow the chapters in your book and create content around that every month or whatever for as long as it takes. Then you're going deep inside your book and you're talking about a single topic. The marketing that you got then is massive. There's a matter of so much stuff you can talk about. 
And people say, well, I'm giving away my book, but you're not. You're only giving a little tiny pieces of it at a time. People aren't going to track all that, right? The reality is, you know, if they're going to do that, welcome to them, right? Someone reads your book and gets it for free even. doesn't matter if they've read your book. And I think that's the, the concept of looking at what you've done wrong. But reality is sometimes these happy mistakes are actually good stuff. On the years that I've sort of done with clients, I've worked out uh, by mistake, number one, making sure my agreements are better. And then at the same time, making sure I know who I don't want to deal do business with. Because the mistakes I've made with people that I should have said, I knew that I shouldn't have done business with those people. <laughs> I should have ran away when I had the chance, right? And I think that's learning from that mistake and then saying later on, well, you know, I'm going to make sure I don't do that again or at least not do it again in a way that's going to cost you a lot of money. And so yeah, learn I, from your mistakes. You're right. Yeah. And do something about it. Like that. just look at it and say, I was reading a book called The Lean Startup on the weekend and it's an interesting thing. They've got this thing called five whys. When something goes wrong, and this is like in a normal business environment, you could do this anywhere and you've kind of got to get rid Careful you don't end up with these five blames, right, they call. So the five whys is ask yourself why this happened and then keep digging in and saying, well, why did that happen? Why did this happen? And often what will happen is the fifth why will come up with something that you never thought of. And it could have been just lack of training, for example, right? Looking at that kind of thing, we're not necessarily blaming someone, but figuring out why this happened. And I think that's what we don't do. We tend to take the top bit and go, oh, well, this didn't work. I wasted all this money on advertising. Well, what'd you do that for? Well, possibly you might have basically, you know, didn't know what you're doing. You didn't understand what you're marketing to. So therefore you didn't define your market well enough. You should learn from that and should make sure maybe define your market better. Well, how can I do that? And then digging in to that big why as to why you actually did that, why that happened, why that went wrong. And then say, okay, great. Now I can fix it rather than saying, Oh, I stuffed up, you know, I spent all this money on marketing. I won't spend any more money on marketing ever again. But everything we buy, the big popular products we buy are all heavily marketed, aren't they? It doesn't matter. And even the popular products that you think, okay, well, you know, I buy toothpaste, you can guarantee that that Colgate toothpaste still to this day advertises, even though they've got a huge market share. Because as soon as they stop advertising, they're going to lose their market share. Something else is going to come along. Well, it's top of mind, isn't it? Mm. That awareness building, I mean, you ask people, you show them, Arches and they know instantly that it's McDonald's, you know, then mm. those yeah. golden arches. I mean, there are certain logos that have been almost like burnt into our brain. We know because we've seen them so many times. Exactly. That scenario about owning your own market is, is really being, so like I see, like LinkedIn's a great example, right? LinkedIn's a great way to kind of like circle the wagons, if you like. What I've done is and I've seen people come to me from LinkedIn because they've seen I've related connected to someone else. And they say, I see you a lot. It's not that. It's just that you happen to be in their circle of influence. So they're seeing you because someone else, one, one of their friends is seeing you. And then suddenly you're, you're top of mind of that person. Yet you're in a very crowded marketplace, but there's a smaller subset community that's focused on a particular, you know, interest. And then they see those friends like that. By trending those people, that's why LinkedIn, they say, oh, don't, don't connect anybody you don't know. No, don't do, it's like, that's nuts. Outside the Nigerian princes and the, um, you know, generals that you get, I pretty much connect to anybody. And if they start being trouble, well, I just disconnect from them, right? But the reality is that you don't know who they know, right? Who they're connected to. That's the really perfect, great thing about it. So you, the mistake you're making there is, oh, well, I'm not going to deal with that person. I can't see why I would want to do that. But they may know someone that could help you or someone that might promote you, or someone might be a great guest on your podcast, for example, right? The other thing that I think is 
is something that people don't do is think about if you can't automate it, you can't scale it. The trouble with people who do a lot of work really hard at marketing sometimes is they can't scale it. Like they've got to keep doing it, keep doing it every day. And that's tough, right? Because that means commitment and discipline. And I think that's the trouble. Since you, since you put those two words in the conversation, things get hard. And we don't want hard. We started no, off easy exactly. and lazy, so we don't want hard. <laughs> no, no one does really. I mean, well, some people get some jollies that I must admit. Like some people do like it. <laughs> I used to sell accounting software and it's like, accounting software is about the most boring thing ever, right? And accountants are like, can be the most boring people ever as well. So trying to make something interesting is tough, right? I'm like that. But there are people that really like it. Like people who are accountants, they love it. They love the numbers. Of course they do. That's why they're into it. But hey. But most people go, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's not my idea of a nice Sunday afternoon job. (laughs) So, John, if our listeners wanted to find out more about your services, how can they do that? Probably start with johnnorth.com.au. That's basically my personal website. So that's an idea of looking at, like a lot of people don't do this, and particularly authors, they don't really focus on themselves as one entity, if you know, the, the person. And so that's my personal website that actually connects to everything else. But at least they can start with me for personally first, rather than go to a, a website that suddenly, you know, it's more designed to, to talk to a general audience. That's probably the first pass to do. We've got our own podcast channel uh, called Volpreneur Podcast. And we'll also put some links up about podcasting because what we've done and we talked to you about doing this as a sort of a joint venture is helping authors get onto their podcast quickly and, and not have to go through all the dramas and trouble we've been through, all the mistakes we've made, and try to get that launched quickly. So you can launch a podcast in a couple of weeks. I mean, as I said, it's the most laziest thing ever. You don't have to fit to any schedule. You don't have to, you know, I mean, I do three podcast episodes at a time. People say you've got a podcast every week. I do one every so often because I've identified people I want to have as guests. So I don't keep to any schedule. I usually do three at a time, and then I get three people promoting in one week, right? There's all sorts of ways you can do it, but the reality is you don't have to stick to any schedule. You know, you, you just develop it around your own sort of way you want to do it, but get it done quickly so you're actually up and running quickly. Like you down to what microphone should I use and all that sort of stuff. That's all great and wonderful, but the reality is just make a start. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row to get started. John, this has been absolutely amazing. And if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? There's one that I I say to a lot of people, and that is when they give away stuff for free, free advice is worth every cent. And I think what people forget is that if you're going to give away something free, you need to get something in return. A lot of people give away stuff for free in marketing, but there's not really, there's nothing giving back in return. Yeah, it could be a free email address. But thinking about the fact that, Telling people too early about stuff is not worth it in your own own mind, right? I always find that don't think that you're going to give out all this free advice and they're going to pay any attention to it. Unless they're paying, they're not paying attention. Money talks. John, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for taking time all the way from Sydney, Australia, living our future tomorrow. What does it look like out there for tomorrow? Uh, not too bad, you know. Like I, I reckon, uh, a lot of other countries I wouldn't like wouldn't like to be in right now, particularly with um, COVID stuff. So I think at the end of the day, like whilst we've got a lot of restrictions and stuff, I think it's could be a lot worse off. Thank yeah. you so much, and thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. 
Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded. So visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.